This is a WTOP original podcast. Welcome to another edition of The Vine Guy. I am your host, Scott Greenberg. And in this edition, I have the absolute pleasure of having as my guest, Erica Crawford from Love Block Wines. Now, Love Block Wines, founded by Erica Crawford and her husband, Kim, both renowned veterans of the New Zealand wine industry. Erica, a graduate from the University of Cape Town, actually started a career as an aspirational medical scientist, progressing into the pharmaceutical industry. Her career in the wine industry was quite by accident when she attended a wine festival and met a Kiwi called Kim, as in Kim Crawford. Erica made New Zealand her home after marrying her husband, and Erica and Kim began making their wine under their own label in 1996 and later sold that business. However, both were lured back by an untamed parcel of land on a hillside in Marlborough's Awatari Valley and the prospect of making wines that showed true and naked terroir. Now, Erica, this is a, a family show, so we'll have to leave the naked terroir out. Erica, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Let's just dive right in. Thank so, you for having me, Scott. It's been, a, it's been a, a few years between drinks, but I'm delighted to be back. It's so good to see you again. Uh, <laughs> I have to tell you, I know, when we first met in Washington, D.C. all those years ago, um, and unfortunately, I have not aged well, but you have not aged at all. There must be a picture in somebody's <laughs> attic. Um, it's, all this, it's all this clean living, Scott. It must be, and all that wonderful wine. Uh, I, I have to say, it's it's just so great to see you again. But I'm curious, you know, we've talked in the past about Love Block and your passion for environmental positioning, but where does that come from? Two things. One is deeply personal for me, and then the other one is about New Zealand. So let's tackle New Zealand first because it's 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 factual. So New Zealand is a tiny little island in the South Pacific. And it's an agrarian economy. You know, we grow things, whether it's um, fruit, kiwi fruit or fruit, whether it's grapes for wine, whether it's sheep for milk, whether it's beef and lamb, you know, we grow things. Um, We're not a manufacturing country. And so it absolutely stands to reason that one should look after the soils so that one can continue to do these things for generations to come. So, so it makes total sense. And I think New Zealand has a, a reasonably good approach to that. And secondly, well, for me, of course, Loplock really represents the opportunity to live my values. Um, so what happened to me was, um, you know, we, we were young and we were started our own company and it took off bigger than we thought. And we had two little toddlers and two kids and, Sometimes life just happens and it's not always per plan and it's not always necessarily good. And in one of those stressful moments, you know, when you lose focus and you smack into the back of the garage door, I smacked into a lamppost and, um, you know, escaped with a few bruises. But when they, the doctor checked me over, he just told me that I presented like a 55-year-old corporate businessman. And I was quite offended by that because neither a man nor was I 55. I was young. Um, and so I just started cleaning up my life. You know, the first thing to go was Diet Coke. And I started feeling a bit better. I used to have one Diet Coke a day. And then I learned to read food labels and I started eliminating additives and colorants. And, and it's amazing what goes into our food. 
and I started feeling less uptight and less driven, you know. And then I looked at skincare, changed to natural skincare as far as I could. And the next step was how do we clean the house? Now, you know, so it's a chemical bath, isn't it? And so um, we use a little bit more elbow grease and, you know, a little bit more scrubbing as opposed to cleaning everything with chemicals. And then the next logical thing, so by the time we came out of that um, non-compete, it was just logical to go organic. And we started farming organically in 2008. And it takes about eight to 10 years, you know. Um, some practitioners say it's you owe the earth 10 years of good grace for everything you've done for, to it for centuries before. But essentially it's, it's building up the soil biota again, correcting soil structure, all with just organic management. And then we saw the vines become more resistant to pest and disease. And, and it's, it's really been quite a progress. So with Love Block, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but so, so we're in a state proposition, unlike what we did, you know, at King Crawford. So in a state proposition and the planted area is 110 hectares. I think that would probably be around about 260 acres or something like that. So I'm really, really, really proud today that I can sit here and tell you that 82% of that estate is now either certified organic or in conversion to so I have to say, though, uh, interrupting you for a second, Erica, that those lifestyle changes you made are inspirational because you 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 no longer look like a fifty-five year old businessman. <laughs> you look like I look like, I look like a fifty-five year old businesswoman that I am. <laughs> you look like a teenager. I tell you, I mean, it's it's done. It's it, from personal perspective, it's made changes to the way I feel. You know, I I cutting out a lot of. A, a lot of chemicals and additives has really made me less uptight. I was quite uptight and driven. And I feel I approach life in a different way now. I don't get sick as often, really. You know, I love food. I live for food, but I don't get totally hungry that I go and devour a McDonald's burger from time to time. So, so it sits in the quality of the produce that you eat. And when it comes from organics, you know, it, it takes you through longer to the next meal without feeling hung, hungry. So you don't eat the rubbish, you know, I think for me, it's really helped me spiritually. It's helped me physically. Well, you can, you can certainly tell, and I have to say you're, you're an inspiration. I do want to back up a little bit and talk about organic and certified organic. Cause a lot of people yeah. are confused about what, what is considered sustainable, what is considered organic, what's considered biodynamic. We get thrown all of these terms at us. And yeah. I have to say, having visited New Zealand just before the world turned upside down in uh, 2020, I was struck by just the pure cleanness. And I don't mean mm. that like trash on the side of the road. I mean the air, the environment, everything felt to me in New Zealand as if it was just fresher and cleaner. So I am, uh, and which, by the way, was a phenomenal experience. And I had the the absolute pleasure of, of visiting several wineries while I was in New Zealand. And they do throw around these terms of organic and sustainable and biodynamic. What does that mean? Let's start with biodynamic because the certifications are the best to deal with. So biodynamic is the top of the Christmas tree. It's, it farms by the moon. It uses the cycles of the moon. You've got a direct connection with the cosmos. 
you know, we do think things, um, you use preparations to enhance, you know, uh, plant metabolism or soils or soil um, conditioning, etc. at different times, particular times of the year. The certification for that is called Demeter or Demeter, as you would say here in the US. Okay. What a lot of people do is to use some of the um, practices, but don't get certified. Like we use probably about 30% of the practices, but we're not certified. We did go down that that line, but it's um, it's quite a, it's a deeply spiritual thing. You know, you, you progress to that. So you can have that certification, but a lot of organic producers incorporate that in our practices. Below that sits organic certification. So I'm showing you a bottle here. So certification is done by body and you can see there that's the biogrow thing so unfortunately one of the difficulties in the world is that different markets countries have different rules so australia and new zealand is a single unit and the eu it has the same standards for organic certification and most of asia fits into that process as well then the us has its own set of rules the big difference between shall I say, NZAUEU and the US is the addition of sulfur. So we're allowed to, to add a little bit of sulfur. To get USDA certification, you're not allowed to add any sulfur at all. Any additional sulfur? Any sulfur at all. Okay. So all our vineyards are certified for vineyards in the US so you'll see sometimes I'm holding the Pinot Gris here. It says made of organically grown grapes from our estate. So that means uh, that it comes from organic grapes, but it does have a post-ferment sulfur addition. And a lot of people say, you know, I mean, uh, uh, the leading producers are Bonterra, Benzinger, Organicus. Basically, Bonterra sets the way here in the U.S., doesn't it? And not having sulfur and traveling across the ocean is a problem, uh, or it could be a problem. And I think from our point of view, it's the consistency between bottle to bottle, um, because wine can get oxidized. So that's organic certification. As I say, the, if, they, if we can do one thing for the world, just to get a homogenous standard across all countries, so we all play by the same rules, so you know... But if you go, you know, um, so I guess for Lovepuck wines coming into the U.S., you won't see the USDA certification because, you know, we, we have to, we, we choose to add sulfur. Then we get to sustainable and you'll see there at the bottom of this bottle is a very small fern with a, a mark there that says SWINS, Sustainable Wine Growing New Zealand. So New Zealand's really been world leading in this regard in that it's, this system started, I think, way back in 1999 or something. So we're now in our third iteration. It makes it, it's got a number of planks to it. It's, um, you know, minimizing um, use of people, place, water, and so on. So, so as you say, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a clean green place and this sets it apart. And, and I think New Zealand was really world leading in setting these rules. So we're now in the third iteration of that, you know, um, where more and more eliminations happen. And um, yeah, it's, it's a very well respected uh, accreditation. And I think when you, you know, when you get New Zealand wine, as I say, you get that unique UV light, you get the unique 
it's the air and because, you know, it's a nautical country and so everything just blows over so quickly. Um, she always get that impression of clean. With sustainable, you use chemi- some chemicals. Organics, no chemical herbicides, pesticides or fertilizer. Biodynamic, like organic, but uses different preparations at different times. Got it. And I appreciate the explanation because I love the the uh, alliteration to the uh, to the Christmas tree, the top of the Christmas tree coming and then coming down. I think that's, that's yeah, 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 yeah. So you've actually set up a, what we call in America a, a beach ball and a golf tee for my next question. When we talk about additional sulfur, you yeah. have a brand new project, I believe, yeah. coming out uh, this month or next. Uh, which we are g- going to be calling Love Block T E E. That's capital T, capital E, capital E. Yeah, T. T. Yeah. Tell me about it. Well, so as I say, so so for organic certification, it requires that you have sulfur level, levels lower than a hundred parts per million, so hundred milligrams per liter. So ordinarily, when we make wine, I'm not not for organics, but when you make wine. You do two sulfur additions, one on the grapes, so as to protect the, the, the thiols, precursors, and to manage the phenolics, and one post-fermentation, i.e., you know, before bottling. Right, to stabilize the wine. Stabilize wine and to, to preserve the wine, right? With organic wine, we're only allowed to add one addition of sulfur, and that's the one, the preservation stabilization at the end, so the post-ferment addition of, of sulfur. When you look at the Love Block Sauvignon compared to classic Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc and organic producers, the wine is softer on the nose and more held back. Okay. One of the three reasons I believe for that is sulfur, less sulfur, you know. So we wondered, what if we don't add sulfur? What are the flavors really going to look like? But we know if we don't add sulfur, one bottle is going to be oxidized, the next bottle is going to be semi-oxidized, and the next bottle is going to be clean. And that's too risky, you know. Two other things happened to us. Italian enological company called Vasson, you know, they produce yeast, enological yeast, they produce sulfur, they produce all sorts of things, you know, malolactic kits, all sorts of things. So a respected enological manufacturer producer of products we use in the winery. They have had a product available for probably about the last 13 years with the indication of highly botrytized grapes. No one has ever used that product for anything else than that. And, but if you follow the chemistry, then you will see that that protects wine from spoilage via, anti, via a very strong antioxidant activity. I just want to get to why we're doing it. At the same time, I also know that the South Africans were tinkering a little bit with rooibos tea. With what? Uh, rooibos tea. You know, tea. it's the, yeah, well, tannin extracted from. So these two products, let me talk about tannins wider and how we use it in the winery. So obviously tannins been around forever and we know them from barrels, but people also use staves and chips and all sorts of things to add structure, to add um, a layer of flavor in, in or mainly structure to the wine, right? We all know that. But we also use tannins in the winery for other reasons, like to clear the must and so on. So and those, those things come in powder form. We know that tannins are, do a number of things. All tannins have some um, antioxidant capacity as well. That's why you often 
will have a white wine that's oxidated. You get more of them than you get a red wine that's oxidated, right? Right. It's because tannins provide some protection. This, com- this Italian company extracted tannin via a very sophisticated process from green tea leaves. And the South Africans are extracted tannin from, extracting tannin from rooibos tea, the woody bit. The difference, I mean, for me, the green tea, because it's available to us, and it doesn't impart flavor or color to the wine. By high-grade, you know, farmer-grade process, they extract the tannin from the green tea leaves. Now, molecularly, it resembles very much one of the tannins that's present in, in grape skins, the three olds. So we know it does those things. So what the difference between the two is the tremendous antioxidant effect that the green tea tannin has. So we're not talking about pouring green tea into the wine. We're talking about a highly sophisticated extraction of tannin from the from stuff. And it's not a pro- new process. People do it with wood and people have always done it with wood to use in the winery, right? We know that green tea has tremendous antioxidant capabilities. You know, people are doing a lot of research in cancer, in health. We know about it from a health point of view. People have been drinking tea, green tea, for centuries, you know. Um, and, And in my research, I believe that's the very big difference between sulfur, other tannins, and the tannin extracted from green tea, is the capability that green tea tannin has to protect wine from spoilage via the antioxidant effect. I'm, I'm sorry. So let me interrupt for just a second. I, because I just talked about a lot of stuff and I know that sorry. because of your pharmaceutical scientific background, this all seems very easy to you, but to the people listening to this okay. podcast, they might, I'm have, sorry. you know, no, it's fine. I love it when you go deep, uh, but you know, I think that I want to see if I understand what we're talking about. And if I do, then oh, happy day. But from what I'm gathering from this conversation is that there are tannins in green tea that have, for lack of a better word, protective uh, antioxidant capabilities that can actually maybe even substitute for sulfur. So then rather than using additive sulfur, we're now looking at this tannin extract from the green tea. Am am I tracking this correctly? 100%. Oh, good. So because this is fascinating. I've never heard of anybody substituting tannin from green tea, obviously. For Scott, I'm going to go geek again for a moment. Um, because if you follow, if you follow the chemistry, it makes perfect sense. Well, wait, if you follow the chemistry, it makes perfect yeah, sense. Yeah, but I'm going to make it very easy for you to understand. Okay. So right. if you remember from school chemistry, I don't know if you do, but most people are better because I'm going to explain it quite, I think, simply. An atom has protons and electrons. So molecules have protons and electrons, right? Electrons are often paired and they, they spin on the outside. And when wine enters, when oxida- ox- oxygen enters the wine system, because in the new world, we tend to make wine, reductive winemaking, in other words, in the absence of oxygen. So when amounts of oxygen enter the wine, as in coming through a cork or a broken screw cap or something. If it seeps in, the oxygen then goes and snatches electrons from the other molecules. These electrons then go berserk and start snatching 
and raiding other molecules to replace the electrons because it's a very strong pull to get the electrons back. And those things are what we call free radicals. And we've all heard about free radicals and how bad they are. And that's what they do. So as molecules gone rogue because they lost an, uh, an electron, what the green tea then does is to donate electrons back to those molecules and bang, it settles down. And I'll give you the very practical example of that. So we first made a small trial batch in 2018. We had a bit of this product and every time the wine is moved in the winery, it gets an addition of this tannin. In other words, to protect it from oxygen. We ran out of product. So the, the wine had to go from the tank onto a, a transportation tank across the pass, so 45 minutes to an hour, into town, to the bottling line, into a tank to be bottled the next day. What happened in the interim was oxygen entered the wine system and started plundering electrons, and the whole thing went mad. However, it was bottled. It was orange when I, we bottled it. So the first batch we called orange because it was orange. And I thought, how on earth am I going to sell this? Then when we were ready to show it, which was at the Sauvignon Blanc Convention in 2018, the wine had clarified. And in that interim period in the bottle, the green tea, the tannin had started donating electrons and stabilize the system. It's called free radical scavenging. Erica, at this point, I feel compelled to tell you my favorite science joke, if you will. And Adam walks into a bar. The bartender says, can I help you? And the Adam says, I think I've lost an electron. And yes. Right. And the bartender says, are you sure? And the Adam says, I'm positive. Uh, yes, 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 exactly that. So you've got to understand a bit of the chemistry to get there. That's a fantastic joke. I give it to you as my gift. So we're talking about uh, using TEE. And again, remind me what the, the initials stand for. So after the wine initial batch that we called orange, it was too confusing for people because they thought it's skin contact and it's not, it's, you know, they right. like five yeah. hours skin contact and that's a bit right. little to call it that. And it wasn't orange anymore. So it was too confusing. So then we had to find a name for it. And this was a, this was a trademark nightmare. Because what do you call a, a wine with a name like that? It's with a, you know, it's a completely new category. It's it's brand new. No one's done it, right? Right. So we looked at a number of names, and all the trademarks were taken. And T E E means tea, as in cup of tea, in Afrikaans, which obviously I'm from South Africa, so it's called tea. And it stands for cup of tea. Oh, oh well, no, yeah. I thought maybe it was an acronym for something. No, it's just a reference back to the green tea tannin. Okay. So what does it taste like? Does it taste any different than, you know, a, a typical New Zealand wine with sulfur added? Quite. Yes, quite. I'm just sitting here with a, with a bottle of 20 and I'm, I'm, I'm tasting it as we go along. So you'll get more flavors of mandarin, of fennel, and... Um, and spicy, you know, sort of um, soft spice flavors. And then on the palate, you go through to peach, which we get in our area. So peach, basil, basil, as you say, herbs, um, a bit of pineapple, and then kicks in the, and then kicks in the, the you know, the long acid and the, the wine is softer. So, it, you know, New Zealand, Sauvignon Blanc can be quite angular. Yes. 
So the wine is definitely softer. And as one writer in New Zealand said, it opens the door to flavors of Sauvignon Blanc that we haven't entered, you know. And so the big philosophical debate, of course, is, and we're geeking out a bit again, are we tasting the absence of sulfur or are we tasting the influence of green tea or are we tasting an additional flavor set of Sauvignon that no one has explored before? Fantastic. Now, and this is not a knock on New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, but I always associate New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc with maybe more of a grassy note, you know, the Mm. green hay uh, and and cut grass. So this is fascinating to me that we're now talking about an entire new category Mm. of flavor profile in Sauvignon Blanc that I'm not familiar with. And I think it's very exciting. And that is a great question. Is it the absence of sulfur that's letting the genuine yes. flavors of this variety shine through. Yeah, I, I, you know, yeah. Yeah, time will tell, right? Time will tell. So I'm sitting here with a bottle of, um, what I'm tasting, a bottle of 2020. It's unmistakably Sauvignon, you know, um, but it's soft and it's got that, those different flavors. So as, as someone said to me yesterday, well, We think it's an extension of Sauvignon. We think it's an elevation of Sauvignon. And it's probably the non-Sauvignon drinker's Sauvignon. I like it. The elevation of Sauvignon. I think that's really fascinating. And I am uh, super excited to try it. You were very kind enough to send me a a, a bottle, and it's actually in the fridge now, and we will be tasting that a little bit later. But I just think that this is a a fascinating and, and new development and but I guess I have to ask the obvious question: uh, Is Love Block the only one that's currently using this technology? As far as we know, yeah, people may use it, but they're not calling it out. This is fantastic. Um, so that we know of, as I say. Do you have plans think, to use it in in other varieties that you're producing? We're starting to use it, yeah. But but you know, we still will add a bit of sulfur at the end. We just want to be sure that this is working. You know, we know it's working. So at the moment. It's, it's, um, it's been on sale in our smaller markets like Japan, UK, Canada had a drop. It's just getting a listing in Sweden. So, you know, it's going to, and yeah, and because it's, it's different and it's a segue into natural wine, you know? I love it. I absolutely love it. So as I mentioned at the beginning of the, the podcast, you and I met, I'm going to guess it was seven or eight years ago, Erica, just- yeah. Just when we started. Exactly. Just uh, maybe it was a year or two after you had started. So you're coming up on almost 10 years now. I'm just curious, what are you most proud of accomplishing in the last 10 years? And what does the next 10 years hold for you? So two things that I'm extremely proud of. Obviously, it's the extent of our organic management across the estate because it's not easy. You know, Um, you're much more vulnerable to pest and disease because you can't just zap it with a chemical. Right. So I'm really proud of that. And I think the second thing is I'm really proud of the wine style that we're producing, you know, so it's a little bit more contained on the nose, but it's, it's got tremendous texture. You know, we're using things like concrete eggs and clay amphora and old oak barrels. So, so really adding complexity to the wine. So I'm super, I'm super pleased with the wine style. So it sounds like you're almost heading in a what I would refer to as a natural wine. Um, uh, no, we, I guess we're sort of halfway through the process. I don't know. We won't go. You know, we do. We, 
we've made an orange wine last year. It was terrible. It just had too much aldehydes. Um, and so, and so you try different things. Um, it's also what the consumer wants, you know, and I think natural wine is inaccessible to a lot of people. So we're eliminating a lot of the additives. And I think that's what the consumers today really are looking for. Yeah. The additives, just as you did all those years ago in your own diet and in your own lifestyle. Yeah. So I think, you know, this is a, a wonderful step forward. I'm very curious as to where this, this takes us. And I'm really looking forward to seeing the next 10 years of Love Block and how it evolves. So the next 10 years, what I'd like to see, is we'd like to extend the, um, you know, the use of those alternative vessels a little bit more because they give you a texture that's undefinable. We also make wines like Gewürztraminer, Chenin Blanc, Riesling, all sorts of things. I'd love if I have one big, one big, big dream for the U.S. to be a little bit more open about different varieties from different countries so that you say, yeah, I'll buy Gewürztraminer. It's got a, it's got a shitty name, but I'll try that, you know. <laughs> well, I do think that a lot of people in the U.S. are open to different uh, varieties. Yeah. Particularly Chenin Blanc and Gewürztraminer and Pinot Gris. At least I hope they are, because uh, they are absolutely wonderful. No, but from New Zealand, from New Zealand. Oh, from New Zealand. Yeah, from ah. New Zealand. Yes. Yeah. Well, I have to confess ignorance. I have never had a Gewürztraminer from New Zealand, so maybe one of these days I'll have the good fortune to try one. And I'll tell you what else was a good fortune: having you on the podcast today, Erica. Oh my gosh, so absolutely nice. wonderful to see you again. And unfortunately for everybody listening to the podcast, it it is just an audio podcast, so they weren't able to see all the great colors that you were showing of the orange, orange, and the and the you know uh, the beautiful clarity in your Sauvignon Blanc, but yeah, amazing. No sulfur. It's 2020. Oh, that's beautiful. That is just, hmm. that is gorgeous. So I'm yeah. looking at, at Erica uh, holding up a glass of her Sauvignon Blanc. And for anybody listening, I really encourage you, please go out, try these wines. They're available throughout the United States markets. Uh, again, it's love block. We've got the Pinot Gris here, the Sauvignon Blanc, the Sauvignon Blanc tea, which I'm, absolutely excited about trying today. And of course, their uh, Pinot Noir. Uh, Erica, again, so good to see you. Thank you for spending the time with me today uh, on, the, on the Vine Guy podcast. Thank you so much, Scott. Really nice to talk to you again. And I hope to see you in person soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. I look forward to that as well. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Vine Guy, a WTOP news podcast. Until the next episode, do good, drink well.